This is the History Worth Saving Podcast. I'm Matt Jolly. If you've been listening to warbirdradio.com and you've noticed that you have this show now in your podcast feed, it's because the name has changed. Same types of shows, just a broader audience. Hope you'll stick around. Today is someone that you probably will recognize if you're from the Warburg Radio crowd. If you're not, if you're from the History Worth Saving audience, you're going to love this guy. He's a friend of mine. His name is Jason Capra. And he has a project that he that he became acquainted with in a way that is just... It's, it's divine. I don't know how else to say it. I mean, truly, it, it's one of the most incredible stories that I have heard in a long time, how it came to be. So picture this, Jason lives outside of Pittsburgh. He's driving down these country roads with a friend of his, and there it is, a World War II C-53 transport airplane that is just crying out for him to help it. If you're an aviator, then you understand this. Sometimes airplanes talk to you. They speak to you. The people who have flown them speak to you. And this airplane was crying out for Jason to help him. So what does he do? He takes that middle picture. And then every day until he actually bought the airplane, that image just chipped away at his conscience. Did I get that right? I mean... This was an emotional experience for you the first time you saw it. Oh, it absolutely was, Matt. And uh, I can't thank you enough for having me on the show today. I want to I talk about this because your life has gone through so much change as a result of this airplane. And you can get into as much or as little of this as you want on this show. But the point is when, when someone hears your voice and they hear what you have gone through with this machine, this relic of World War II. It's impressive, and I think it speaks volumes about who you are. Tell me about that first time seeing the airplane when you had this sort of religious experience, if you will, with this thing. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, uh, I think you hit the nail right on the head. And, uh, yeah, I I don't know what, I was actually driving home from my, uh, my recurrent at um at my airline that i fly for which our home base is in indianapolis indiana i I fly for uh, republic airways and um so usually i always drive out to recurrent every year ground school and stuff like that so on my way home I, i just got sick and tired of being on the interstate and right around columbus ohio i i got off the highway and just just trying i guess to get lost and just go down all these back roads and make my way home to Pittsburgh. I didn't really know where I was going or why I was doing it, but, uh, that was, that was what I did. And, uh, I ended up just to the, uh, Southwest of Canton, Ohio, in a little, little town that I'd never heard of before called beach city, Ohio. And, uh, just like you said, I, I came around the bend and, uh, I noticed some hangers next to houses and, big grass runway and i was like oh that's cool there's a private airstrip here and uh when i came past the row of hangars and the one house uh you know there's this derelict in in 
DC-3 sitting there. And again, at the time, I didn't know that it was a C-53 or what its history was. I just knew it was a Douglas DC-3. And, uh, my God, it was the saddest looking airplane I've ever seen in my life. And, uh, being a, a Warbird guy and a huge history, uh, World War II history aficionado, I, I was just dumbfounded that in, at that time, it was, I guess it was 2015, 2016, uh, that something like that was still just sitting in a field pretty much neglected. And I mean, I, I parked the car and, and walked over and, and just walked around this thing. And, uh, and my heart hurt for it. I, I just, again, being around these airplanes and knowing how much people care about them, it just broke my heart to see this thing. It probably had some cool story and some amazing past uh, just to essentially be left rotting away uh, in this airfield. And, and it does. I, <laughs> it does yeah, have it. I mean, let's just walk through the list here real quick because it opened the North Africa front in World correct. War II. Yep. Your airplane did. Operation Torch. It was there and saw it all firsthand. There's a there's a good chance that your airplane uh, might have even flown some incredible VIPs at one point during that, that operation. That is very, very true, yes. Yeah, the airplane was uh, used extensively by uh, the North African Division of Air Transport Command, which was the uh, troop transport movers during World War II. Uh, today, they're known as Air Mobility Command. But at that time, they, the transport world was in its infancy in the uh, aviation community, especially in the military. And uh, this airplane... Uh, was built and accepted in January of 1942. So right after Pearl Harbor, the airplane was on its way to combat and was one of the first troop transports our country had out there on the front lines. And uh, its role as a VIP transport, troop transport, and hospital ship um, definitely saw it doing some pretty, pretty crazy VIP movements. As a matter of fact, when the airplane was involved in its landing accident, in 1944 North Africa, which is how we were able to locate the original crew, which again, in and of itself is a whole other story. But uh, the passenger list just said one British passenger classified. And here we are in 2020, and I still don't know who that person was. So we can only imagine the clientele that our airplane uh, was shuttling around the North African campaign during this time, uh, people that decided history. Maybe Churchill. Perhaps, yep, or you even Montgomery. Know. Yeah, yep, yeah. Exactly. I mean, who who knows? One passenger though for a a huge transport airplane. It yep. had to be somebody pretty big. <laughs> so exactly. You never know. Well, so here you have this this moment where you decide to save it, and and the aircraft's history just goes on from there. It was Governor Rhodes' airplane in Ohio, the official state airplane for the state of Ohio that that ceremonially opened all of these airports throughout Ohio that Governor Rhodes was known for opening. And and this this particular C-53 then is bought by a private individual and, like so many folks, has big hopes, big dreams for it, and then nothing happens to it. It gets pecked apart by the birds and the weather and the rain and the, the snow, and this thing... It does. It it's it's one of the saddest pictures I think I've ever seen of you. Uh, but but then there's this glow in your face uh, when you pulled the trigger and you took this step in faith to save this airplane. You put up your own money, and then you built this 501c3 around it, and you're off and running now. And and it looks completely different. But but walk me through this because there were some dark days 
during this when you decided that, look, this is something that I am willing to put my own neck on the line for and, and make it happen. Walk me through those, those, those darker days, because I want people to hear that this was not something that came easy. Oh, no, it, it wasn't at all. Uh, you know, I, at, at the time, uh, when I found the airplane, I was, um, a newly upgraded captain at Republic at the time, which was a regional airline. And, uh, it still is, but, um, you know, I was flying a dash eight around and I didn't have a whole lot of money to my name at the time. Uh, you know, I, being a regional first officer in the airline industry is anyone that is listening has done this and knows full well in the early two thousands, the airline industry wasn't very kind to, uh, to its pilots. Um, you know, we were looked at as a dime a dozen and the pay scales were, were reflecting of that. I mean, my first five years as an airline pilot, I, I, my first year I made $17,000 a year and my fifth year I was only up to $30,000 a year. That's right. Ramen, uh, Ramen noodle with beef flavoring is a steak dinner. You have no idea, but, uh, (laughs) but my, my love affair for what I did for a living just kept me going and I. I was doing what I loved every day. And at the end of the day, that's, that's all anyone could ever ask for in this lifetime. But, uh, yeah, so I, I just upgraded to captain and, um, I was making some decent money. Um, you know, we were up, I think in the sixties or something at that time. And, uh, you know, I was, uh, and engaged if I remember correctly, I mean, life was good. No, not engaged, not engaged, but close, (laughs) close to it. If I recall, yeah, had a had a had a pretty serious girlfriend yeah, at the time. Yeah, yeah and that's that's, that's gonna that factors into this because as this happens and priorities begin to shift, yeah, so, suddenly yeah, things was, change. Exactly. Yeah, and um, so anyway, all that was going on, and again, this this airplane just kind of entered my life, and I was lucky. I'd been flying a Warbird for another organization. And uh, it was also a Douglas transport. And um, so I've been involved with this stuff since I was a kid. And my heart was with it. And I always tell people, I, you know, by profession, I'm, I'm an airline pilot. But my, my real true passion is warbirds and, and World War II. And uh, this is something that I had been dreaming about since I was a little kid in school. That one day I would love to own a warbird and take it to air shows and do what my heroes did. And, and the people I looked up to did. And, um, you know, I, I always felt this really strong connection with that World War II generation. And I guess a lot of it probably had to do with just, you know, the stories that I heard growing up and how my grandfather always spoke so highly of, of that generation. And, and I really admired him. So I'm like, well, if this is his heroes, then these guys are someone I should look up to, too. And I think all of that kind of factored into this obsession I've had my whole life with, with World War II and that generation and, and those airplanes. And uh, when I found this thing there, uh, sitting there and uh, rotting away pretty much, I just thought, you know, I don't know why out of all the airplanes I could possibly put my money into and and, and go on a, a mission to save, it's it's this one. But I, I knew immediately, Matt, when I saw it and I, I walked up to it for the first time, I just knew I'm like this airplane and I are uh, we're gonna we're gonna go go on until I'm not here anymore. This this is my airplane. And God opened those doors in a way that that He does when when something needs to get done and that He wants to have happen. Yep. And and the money came in not easily. And I I, I remember talking to you and I said, look, the big money is going to be the easy money. It's the small stuff that's going to just 
drive you nuts and it's going to be really, really difficult to do. But you have this grassroots group of people who have who have made it happen, Jason, and they they've rallied behind you in a way that I think is just so special. Uh, your organization, Vintage Wings Incorporated, uh, has truly been able to put every nickel into the airplane. Yep, that's 100 percent accurate. Yeah, when I when we uh, when we tracked down the owner of the airplane, um, you know, it took me a while to find him. He he was very reluctant to sell the airplane. He didn't want to sell it, and told me how many times he'd been approached by other people wanting to buy it, and he just said no, 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 no. And uh, I kind of told him what I wanted to do with it, and some of my background dealing with airplanes like this. And I said, look, I I know you wanted to save this thing, and for whatever reason, it never happened. But I can promise you, if you give me a chance to to do this, I can, I can make this airplane, uh, come to fruition and have the retirement and the honor that I think you always wanted to do with it. And, uh, just give me a chance. And he agreed to it. But the, the deal was I had one year to come up with a hundred thousand dollars to pay for it, but he wanted $20,000 as a down payment. And, uh, I, I basically emptied my savings account that I had at the time. (laughs) And I did. I didn't. I, I took every dime that I had to my name and everything I had in savings. And instead of buying a house like most other late twenty-year-olds are doing at that time in their life, uh, I put uh, I put it all down on a Douglas DC three from nineteen forty-two that hadn't flown in twenty-six years. And, and I had no idea how in God's name I was going to come up with the rest of it and, <laughs> and how it was even going to work. But I just. I don't know. Like I said, I, I, I knew I, I wasn't going to fail. I wasn't going to let this airplane down. Well, and here's what kind of gripes me about this whole thing. This guy who agreed to let you pay him really never thought for a minute that, that you guys would actually be able to come up with the cash. But he did let you guys start working on the airplane. Correct. And and you started you started this process of restoration and I think when you wrote that final check, there there was a moment where it became real, not only for you, but also for him. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was told by some people uh, out at the airport that the only reason he even agreed to sell it to me and had turned so many other people down was because he thought there was no way in God's name I was going to come up with the money. And the deal we worked out was if I couldn't raise the money, he would keep my $20,000 and the airplane, and that was that. So it was a win-win for him as far as he was concerned. But um, I've never quit on anything in my life. And I, I think had he known that, he probably wouldn't have given me a chance. But, uh, yeah, it was uh, it was a Herculean effort on our part as, a, as an organization. It was it literally had just started to uh, raise the remaining $80,000 that we needed to purchase the aircraft. And we paid outright cash for it. I mean, it, it was ours the second I signed the paper. And uh, so now I have a DC-3 sitting in Ohio that hasn't flown for 26 years. We just raised $180,000, and it's still no closer to being flying than it was a year ago. So not only did we raise that money, we had to raise all the additional funds uh, to get it out of there and then continue its restoration. And, and the airport, uh, I, I'm, not, I'm not belittling these people at this airport, but they were not incredibly supportive as this process continued. I mean, there were some folks there who were... But there yeah, was a there, lot there of were, there was a lot of consternation over this, you know, and a lot of heartburn. There were a lot of good people there, but there was a handful that made my life a living hell for a year and a half. 
And, um, I mean, everything from driving on the grass, which it was a grass runway, and we would get yelled at and screamed at every time we drove trucks down to work on the airplane, that we were tearing up the turf. Uh, the guy that cut the grass at the airport constantly would cut the grass and blow it all on the airplane on purpose, or he wouldn't cut the grass at all. Um, anytime we needed anything, it was always a big ordeal. And then uh, the and worst just trying to get it out of there, which I just just trying, just trying to, to get it. the thing out of the airport and get it yep. get it somewhere safe, which yep. just became, as you said, a Herculean effort. And and oh oh by the way, oh by the way, this this special friend of yours decides that the airplane has become too much. Ah, yes. <laughs> and so, so now you're, you're, you're out of money. You're working your tail off to save this airplane and you're heartbroken. Yeah. I, so at that time I lived in Washington DC, which was right next to you at the time. And that's where we kind of got to know each other and stuff. But um, yeah, so I was driving, uh, almost every weekend from Washington, D.C. to Ohio to work on the airplane. And then I would turn around two days later, drive all the way back to Washington, D.C. and go back to work. And, uh, you know, and, and I made it very clear the, the amount of effort and, and time it was going to take to go into this project. But um, that, that became a very big issue um, for, for that relationship. And uh, in the process of getting this whole thing started uh, it, we we decided that this just isn't working and that i cared more about the airplane than than i did her and uh she she wanted nothing more to do with me or the airplane so that was that was the end of that so now and i'm in dc right. <laughs> and I, I gotta get back to pittsburgh which is where i'm from and i gotta keep working on the airplane and raising money and and uh trying to run the organization so yeah and there was, was some other stuff that that happened then and i just remember you calling up one day and I'm like, Jason, God's got this. You've got this. <laughs> just just keep putting one foot in front of the other. And I think that there, there are so many, I mean, this year, I mean, my goodness, this year, I, I can relate a little bit to this year. I mean, it's been one of those years where it seems like, what next? Like, seriously, yeah. like, what, what next? I'm afraid, I'm afraid for the next month just because... You know, what, what, okay, what now? And when you've been through something like this, what do you have to keep in mind? Well, that your faith, your faith is the, is the driving factor. You know, I, I, I've got to give a lot of credit to what I have, to my faith in God and that, um, and my work ethic, you know, God, God will give you the tools you need to get through life but he's not going to hand things to you. He gives you the tools that you need to make things happen for yourself. And I think that's where people fall short on, uh, on praying to God and lose their faith in him sometimes because they'll sit there and say, well, I prayed and I prayed and I asked for this and nothing happened. Well, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Nothing happened because you did nothing. And, uh, he's only going to listen and help you out if you help yourself. And, um, and as much as I have my faith in God, I also know that at the end of the day, the guy in the mirror is the only person that can alter your future. And I can either sit there and wallow in my sorrow and feel bad for myself or my present situation, or I, or I can get off my butt and uh, put my gloves on, strap my boots up, and, and make things happen that I wanted to happen. And uh, I just figured, you know, I, there's other things, Matt, you know, growing up and 
you know, playing sports and trying for different colleges and grades and stuff like that. And, and no matter how hard you try, sometimes you're just not going to win. And uh, that's life. It's not fair sometimes. And that was my attitude going into this that, you know what, if I fail, I've got nothing to lose. And at least I know at the end of the day, I, I gave it 100% and I tried. And uh, that's all we can ask for in this lifetime. So I really, I don't know. I, I just didn't have any fear of failing. And as a matter of fact, failing was never even a thought in my mind. I just kind of always knew it was going to happen. I'm going to do this. Don't know how it's going to happen, but but we're going to succeed. And uh, even uh, I was listening to an interview by Dan Crenshaw not too long ago where he was being asked about being a Navy SEAL and said, well, you know, what made you do that? What made you think that you could do that? What about failing? And he said, you know, to be honest with you, he said, I, I never actually thought of failing because that might be conceited. But if you go into it failing, then you've already failed. And I just thought that was kind of ironic that I never once even thought about plan B if this didn't work out. Well, and it has worked out. You flew the airplane out of there. It was a triumphant moment. And now you have a hangar outside of Pittsburgh where the airplane uh, is continuing on this pathway of restoration. And I have to tell you, there have been a lot of restorations that I have seen over the years in, in you know, being involved in aviation and running Warbird Radio and all of these shows we've done for the last 10 years. There have, there have been a lot of airplanes with a lot of massively, massively expensive restorations. But, but what, what is seen coming out of, of your little organization with, again, the grassroots effort of it all is just spectacular. I mean, this thing looks as it was uh, when it rolled off the assembly line and flew down there to open the North Africa campaign. And what I love about your group, the airplane is just the prop that tells the story, that tells the story of the greatest generation that truly saved the world in a pivotal time. And it's, it's those stories and the memory of those people that you are restoring, not just the airplane. And I, I think that's a message that is so important to hear uh, at, at any point in history, because it is, it is a story that resonates with a lot of people around the world. Yep. Well, you know what was interesting about that, and I really appreciate your nice compliments on the work we're doing we're just we're just trying to do it right and uh i think i was already in love with the airplane and 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 you know it became my life but we took it a step further and as i mentioned earlier when we found out what the accident report from 1944 who the crew was um we wanted to find the crew and, and try and locate them unfortunately uh, well, well fortunately we were successful in that i should say it is that we did locate all of them but unfortunately uh, the original crew of the air, aircraft uh, they've all since passed away so none of them are still alive but uh, i wasn't ready to stop at that just yet um i i went further with uh, the help of a lot of our members and we found all of the family members uh, of those crew members and I've talked to every family of the original crew of the airplane and the radio operator, both of his sons, uh, Steve and John Falatico, have both been there to see their dad's airplane. And they were actually there when we flew it in and landed. And uh, the more I learned about them and who they were as a father, uh, as a brother, as a, as a husband, um, and it, it really just added more to it that these guys – and this part of their life was left 
uh, without a voice for the better part of 70 years. They're, they're family and just something they never talked about. And these guys never really talked that much about it. And even for their family, we've actually helped answer a lot of questions that they've always had. And that, that was just, it was so touching and such a moving thing that we had this, this airplane with three faces that belonged to it. And now it's not just the airplane story we're telling, it's their story. And uh, I, I honestly feel like uh, as much as I, again, I love all of the guys that flew this thing and, and their stories are awesome. But the one I most ironic story part of that is the captain. And uh, his name was Jack Bartlett. And uh, Jack uh, basically became estranged from his family uh, in the 1950s and never really had much to do with his, his one daughter and uh, his, his ex-wife at the time. And the guy went back to Ohio and kind of lived a quiet life and ended up passing away by himself. And uh, his daughter, who I was in touch with, uh, didn't really know much about her dad. Uh, only some of the stories her mother had told her. And uh, between our records and what she was able to tell me, we were able to kind of piece together more of his history. And the guy ended up living in Ohio all the way until the early 1980s when he passed away. And I thought, how ironic that his airplane that he flew in World War II in combat was the state airplane of the state of Ohio, and he probably saw or heard this thing fly over his house how many times in his later life and never knew that was his airplane. And I just thought how ironic all this stuff came back together, but we were able to help uh, Wendy, his, uh, his daughter's name, kind of come to peace with who he was and what he did, and uh, all because of this airplane. I think it's a great story. And, you know, the focus of, of History Worth Saving is to focus right now on America and to tell some great American stories because I believe that we need to hear these stories. And I, and I mean that from the bottom of my heart. I love our country, and I love it more and more every day. But we need to focus on reminding ourselves of what a great place it is. And you don't get these kinds of stories unless you get out there and you meet your neighbor. And when I read, you know, I've, I know I've told you this, when I read that Pew Research story, it talked about how we just don't know our neighbors. And then the more densely populated areas, it, the, the number is even less. And you can't get to be friends with someone if you don't get to know them. And you can't like them, empathize with them, or even love them if you don't know them. And hearing your story today just makes you think, you know, who, who were the friends in, in Jack's life? Where did we fail along the way not getting to know that guy a little better? Because you know he was wrestling with stuff. You know all these guys have been wrestling with stuff, and they're coming home today wrestling with this stuff. Your project, Jason, I think is just, uh, I think it's what we need, and I think it's therapeutic in so many ways uh, for those folks who are working on it, for yourself included. And I, I applaud you for it. If folks want to get involved, they can visit your website, Vintage Wings Incorporated. Uh, tell them how they can do that. Yep, absolutely. So uh, obviously, like you just said, our website is uh, vintagewingsinc.com. And uh, basically tells you a very, very detailed history. Uh, there's multiple pages on there, so make sure you take your time and scroll through there. Uh, the history of our aircraft, the history of the crew, who they were. And uh, there's a lot of restoration photos on there. If you want to actually follow the restoration progress, 
Uh, we're really big on Facebook and Instagram. And all you have to do on that is just type in Vintage Wings Inc. Yeah. And uh, you'll be able to find us. But we pretty much post weekly uh, updates on the restoration. And it's it's really neat. It's kind of like a uh, – uh, not a live TV show, if you will, but it's it's kind of like an ongoing you know, history history channel yeah, uh, special about restoring an airplane. And I try and keep people as updated as I can and and uh, give updates and show all the progress that's being made. And, uh, yeah, it's incredible. We do have an incredible group of people up there. And, uh, you know, I, I can't thank the team that we have enough for everything they do and everybody that we have up there that, you know, believes in the mission, believes in what we're doing. And, uh, I don't know, the airplane just kind of has that effect on everyone. I, it's funny watching other people's faces when they come into the hangar and see the plane for the first time and they just, they just stare at it. And, uh, the first thing they tell me is they're like, this thing has a soul. And, uh, it's just cool that other people can, can sense that as well. And she does, man. She has a she has a soul, and she talks to all of us all the time. And uh, like I said, I I haven't. I think that airplane is happier now than it's ever been. And I know that sounds strange to people who maybe are not in the aviation or or aren't pilots or mechanics. But as a as an aviation guy, uh, which you and I both are, like you said, these these airplanes, uh, especially these older ones, you know, they they have a lot of a lot of character to them, and and uh, there's a lot of history to them. And, uh, you know, it, it is a piece of our history. It's, it's what made America, America. And, uh, you know, it's just, I can't do enough to put the time and effort in that I need to, to say it. And this is a, a full-time job for me on top of my full-time job. So, but I love it. And, uh, I wouldn't be doing it if I, if I didn't care about it as much as I do. It's Jason Capra from Vintage Wings Incorporated, Vintage Wings Inc., Dot com. You can find out more about him. Jason, it's history worth saving, but I've saved the best for last. We have about a minute left here, and I, I just wanted to say that you're no longer brokenhearted. In fact, the young lady who you are, in fact, engaged to is so involved in the project, she's become the subject of the Beach City Baby, in fact. <laughs> it is going to be yeah. on the nose. I mean, your your lovely fiance, uh, Emily, who I look forward to meeting at some point, has has just been the cherry on top of this entire project. And you said it earlier that when God wants something to happen, he makes it happen. And I think your story is just so incredible that it couldn't be anybody else with the big man upstairs. Thanks for coming on, buddy. Hey, Matt, always a pleasure, my friend. Great hearing your voice. Listen, it's also great hearing your voice. I'd love to stay in touch with you. You can find us on Facebook at the History We're Saving podcast or You can follow us uh, online, which is even better. If you would go ahead and just subscribe to the newsletter, go to historyworthsaving.com and enter it in there. We'll send you a monthly email update with all of the shows. And to the Warbird Radio audience, you have been with my brand for 10 years. You've heard my voice come into your home. I truly cannot thank you enough. And my commitment is that this show... My show, History Worth Saving Now, is different in name only. The same types of stories that you wanted to hear will continue to be heard. Just a broader audience, a larger topic, 
and an unapologetic focus on the great stories. The great stories that need to be told from our country. I appreciate you listening and look forward to talking to you next time. Get out and know your neighbor. That's history worth saving.